Good morning, and welcome to Procter & Gamble's Quarter End Conference Call. Today's event is being recorded for replay. This discussion will include a number of forward-looking statements. If you will refer to P&G's most recent 10K, 10Q, and 8K reports, you will see a discussion of factors that could cause the company's actual results to differ materially from these projections. As required by Regulation G, Procter & Gamble needs to make you aware that during the discussion, the company will make a number of references to non-GAAP and other financial measures. Procter & Gamble believes these measures provide investors with useful perspective on underlying business trends and has posted on its investor relations website, www.pginvestor.com, a full reconciliation of non-GAAP financial measures. Now I will turn the call over to P&G's Vice Chairman, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief Financial Officer, John Muller. Good morning. Uh, we'd like to start by expressing our sincere hope that you and your families remain safe and are well. A good quarter isn't difficult to explain, so we're going to keep our prepared remarks brief, for just a little over 10 minutes, and then turn straight to your questions. The July-September quarter provides a very strong start to the fiscal year, enabling us to increase guidance for organic sales growth, raise guidance for core earnings per share growth, increase guidance for adjusted free cash flow productivity, and raise our commitment for cash return to share owners. Organic sales up more than 9%, seven points of volume growth, one point of positive mix, and one point of price. We built strong momentum leading up to the crisis with 6% organic sales growth in calendar year 2019. We maintained 6% growth in the first half of calendar 2020, overcoming significant challenges, including the lockdown in China, closure of the travel retail, electro, specialty beauty, and away from home channels, operational challenges, safely staffing our facilities and sourcing materials necessary to maintain and in some categories significantly increase production to serve heightened consumer cleaning health and hygiene needs. And we accelerated to 9% this quarter against a strong 7% base period comparison. Strong momentum reflecting the underlying strength of our brands and the appropriateness of the strategy, which is driving our business pre, during, and at some point post-COVID. Broad-based growth, U.S. organic sales up 16%, Greater China up 12%, focus markets up 11 and enterprise markets, which are significantly impacted by the COVID pandemic, up five. Nine of 10 product categories grew organic sales. Home care up more than 30%. Oral care up mid-teens. Family care up double digits. Personal health care, fabric care, feminine care, hair care, and skin and personal care up high singles. Grooming up mid-singles, baby care down low singles. Aggregate market share growth of 30 basis points, with 30 of our top 50 country category combinations holding our growing share. E-commerce sales up approximately 50% for the quarter. Turning to earnings, core earnings per share up 19%. Currency neutral core earnings per share up 22%. Within this, core gross margin expansion of 140 basis points, up 170 basis points XFX. Core operating margin up 300 basis points, up 350 basis points, excluding FX. 
adjusted free cash flow productivity of 95%. We returned $4 billion of value to share owners, $2 billion of dividends paid, and $2 billion of P&G stock repurchased. In summary, a very strong start to the fiscal year, strong volume, sales, and market share trends, strong operating earnings, margins advancing, strong core earnings per share growth. We built strong momentum heading into the COVID crisis and have been able to maintain this through the most recent quarter, supporting a guidance increase for all key financial metrics, organic sales, core earnings per share, cash productivity, and cash return. As we outlined each of the last two quarters, we've established three priorities that have been guiding our actions and our choices in this crisis period. First is ensuring the health and safety of our PNG colleagues around the world. Second, maximizing the availability of products we produce to help people and their families with their cleaning, health, and hygiene needs. These products are more important than ever given the needs created by the current crisis, increased awareness of health and hygiene, and the additional time we're all spending at home. Third, supporting communities, relief agencies, and people who are on the front lines of this global pandemic with product donations, PPE production, financial support, and using our marketing and communications expertise to encourage consumers to support public health measures to slow the spread of the virus. These priorities are completely congruent with our strategic choices, which remain the right ones. These strategic choices are the foundation for balanced top and bottom line growth and long-term value creation. As you know, we've focused our portfolio on daily use products and categories where performance plays a significant role in brand choice. In these performance-driven categories, we've raised the bar on all aspects of superiority, product, package, consumer communication, retail execution, and value. Superior offerings delivered with superior execution drive market growth. Leading category growth with superior offerings mathematically builds market share and builds business for our retail partners. We've made investments to strengthen the long-term health and the competitiveness of our brands, and we'll continue to invest to extend our margin of advantage and quality of execution, improving options for consumers around the world. The strategic need for this investment, the short-term need to manage through this crisis, and the ongoing need to drive balanced top and bottom line growth, including margin expansion, underscore the importance of ongoing productivity. We're driving cost savings and cash productivity in all facets of our business, up and down the income statement and across the balance sheet. Next, success in our highly competitive industry requires agility that comes with a mindset of constructive disruption, a willingness to change, adapt, and create new trends and technologies that will shape our industry for the future. In our current environment, that agility and constructive disruption mindset are even more important. Last, our new organization structure yields a more empowered, agile, and accountable organization with little overlap or redundancy, flowing to new demands, seamlessly supporting each other to deliver against our priorities around the world. These strategic choices we've made, portfolio superiority, productivity, constructive disruption, and organization structure and culture are not independent strategies. They reinforce and build on each other. 
When executed well, they grow markets, which in turn grow share sales and profit. We believe our strategies, the success we've had behind them, and an increased societal focus on health hygiene and a clean home all bode well for the future. We believe PNG is well positioned to serve consumers' heightened needs and their changing behaviors, and to serve the changing needs of our retail and distributor partners, all of which are critical to long-term value creation. We like our long-term prospects, though the near term will continue to be challenging and it's a little more difficult to predict. Our near-term outlook begins with an assumption of how underlying consumer markets will develop. This, by itself, is highly uncertain. The reality is that COVID cases are increasing in many parts of the world without the resources, infrastructure, or in some cases, the will to effectively manage it. We're likely, we'll likely be operating without a broadly available vaccine or advanced therapeutic through fiscal 21. This could prompt tighter containment policies and dramatically reduce mobility, which would affect employment and overall incomes, potentially leading to a deeper and longer recession across large parts of the world. In the U.S., it's unclear how long we'll be operating at high unemployment levels and when and how much mitigating economic stimulus will be available. There continues to be social unrest and economic distress in many parts of the world that also affect the prospects for category growth. These same dynamics can result in an increased cost to operate, and there is an ongoing risk of supply chain disruption, our operations or those of our suppliers. Against this challenging backdrop, we're still holding ourselves to an expectation of meaningful growth, top line and bottom line, and expect to be highly cash generative. With a strong first quarter as a base, we're increasing our fiscal year guidance, we're raising our organic sales growth guidance from a range of 2 to 4% to a range of 4 to 5%, which includes some quarter-to-quarter ramp down from Q1 as retail inventories are fully replenished and as uh, promotions are partially reestablished. We expect to grow market share and aggregate for the year. We're increasing our core earnings per share growth guidance from a range of 3 to 7% to a range of 5 to 8% versus prior year core earnings per share of $5.12. This bottom line outlook includes headwinds of approximately $325 million after tax of foreign exchange, $150 million from the combination of higher interest expense and lower interest income, and $50 million of after tax of higher freight costs. These headwinds should be partially offset by $175 million after tax of commodity cost tailwinds. Fiscal 2021 will continue our long track record of significant cash generation and cash return to share owners. We're raising our target for adjusted free cash flow productivity from 90% to around 95%. We continue to expect to pay approximately $8 billion in dividends and are increasing our outlook for share repurchase from a range of $6 to $8 billion to a range of $7 to $9 billion. Combined dividends and share repurchase a plan to return 15 to $17 billion of cash to share owners this fiscal year. This outlook is based on current market growth rate estimates, current commodity prices, and current foreign exchange rates. Significant currency weakness, commodity cost increases, additional geopolitical disruption, 
major production stoppages or store closures are not anticipated within these guidance ranges. Wrapping up, we continue to execute winning strategies, a portfolio and daily use categories where performance drives brand choice, superiority in products, packages, consumer communication, retail execution, and value, productivity in all areas of cost and cash, constructive disruption in all facets of the operation, and improved organization focus, agility, and accountability. We feel we continue to have the right priorities to deal with the immediate challenges the company's facing, ensuring employee health and safety, maximizing product availability, and helping society overcome the challenges of the crisis. We're stepping forward, not back. We're doubling down to serve consumers and our communities. We're investing in the superiority of our brands and the capabilities of our organization, always with our eyes fixed on long-term balanced growth, growth and value creation. With that, I'd be happy to take your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question, please press star followed by one on your phone. If your question has been answered or if you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by the two. Take our first question coming from the line of Jason English with Goldman Sachs. Hey, good morning, folks. Thanks for slotting me in. Um, geez, first question, so many areas to go. Um, I, I guess I want to jump off of probably one of the higher order questions, John. Um, you mentioned you're, you're excited and enthused about the consumer's increased focus on health, hygiene, and home. Um, what's your view on the durability of those, beha- those related behavioral changes that we've seen over the last six, eight, nine months? Um, do you expect them to mean revert to pre-COVID levels? If so, what's the duration? And if not, why not? We do expect uh, that there's some uh, stickiness to new habits that are being formed and new awareness that's been raised. It's it's hard for us to see in our interactions uh, with consumers um, that we're going to snap back and revert to the same attitudes and the same behaviors that we had uh, collectively uh, pre-COVID. You know, even things like uh, the amount of inventory, pantry inventory I I keep, and in some ways this is analogous to some of us remember our grandparents, for example, having survived uh, the Great Depression, and they continued to hold on to more food and canned items that I, I, that I could ever understand, but it was because of, of what they'd been through. Um, consumer habits, once they're established in our categories, um, are, are rarely reversed. On occasion, under duress, they will be, um, but generally, uh, once people start using a category, once they form a habit, uh, it's, it stays. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some uh, level of uh, reversion, um, but we do expect um, a permanent change at some level as well. Duration, your call is as good as mine. I have no ability to predict uh, what's going to happen here from a viral standpoint or from a medical solution standpoint. I appreciate the perspective. Um, in that context, if you think about your portfolio construct, does it change the way you think about where you want to play? 
on the margin, um, it can have an impact on where we want to play. We're, we're happy with each of our current categories. The question is, are there additional opportunities that we want to be able to access? So, for example, we've launched a um, hand sanitizer in the U.S. under the Safeguard brand name. You're aware of um, the Microband 24 uh, surface disinfectant, which we're working hard to increase capacity on so we can uh, meet very high demands for that product. Um, so uh, generally, again, our portfolio is going to daily use categories, performance drives, brand choice, heavily centered on health, hygiene, and a clean home is going to serve us very well in this situation just as it did prior. But the situation does present additional opportunities to step up and serve and help consumers with their health, hygiene, and clean home needs. Thanks a lot. I'll pass it on and congrats again on your continued success. Thanks. All right, your next question comes to the line of Rob Ottenstein with Evercore. Great, thank you very much and uh, congratulations on a terrific quarter. Um, so 7% volume growth, a percent price, a percent mix, you know, very, very balanced. Um, kind of a two-part question. Um, how are you thinking about market share? Uh, you know, how much of a priority is that in this environment? Uh, and kind of then looking at e-commerce, we've, we've done a lot of work uh, on the U.S. e-commerce business uh, and, and did a deep dive on that using, uh, you know, numerator data. Uh, and, you know, what, what came out of that uh, was, was a little mix, certain characters. Categories doing extremely well, like Crest, just just killing it in e-commerce. Uh, but but look, you know, based on the numbers and data we saw, diapers, bath tissue, paper towels uh, appear to be losing share in e-commerce. So love to kind of get a sense of how you're thinking about market share, and then particularly market share in e-commerce, uh, and where whether in terms of e-commerce, whether you are hitting kind of the notes of superiority. Uh, that you're looking for with the rest of your business. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Um, I want to start in a slightly different place, but I'm going to bring it right around uh, to the core of your question, uh, so be patient with me. We are um, maniacally focused on increasing and leading market growth. And when we do that, when we do that with uh, superior products, continuously increasing our margin of advantage, meeting um, additional needs, solving tension points across the portfolio. When we disproportionately are able to drive market growth, mathematically, we build share. And that share growth is much more sustainable, achieved that way and is much generally much more profitable than uh, if we were sourcing market share by taking business from other companies. So we'd rather create than take, and in the process more sustainably build market share, which is very important, um, as well as uh, uh, sales and um, profit. Um, in terms of e-commerce, um, you know, it's a, it's a very competitive marketplace, just like other channels that we compete in. So there are always ups and downs across uh, categories. But we find 
that the same general strategy that I articulated in our prepared remarks and that I just described um, uh, parts of it and, and, and what I uh, just provided is highly relevant in e-commerce just like it is in, in brick and mortar. And we don't see a lot of, uh, there's some, but we don't see a ton of differentiation between our ability to succeed in an e-commerce format and an a offline format when we execute our strategies and when our products uh, in categories of performance drives brand choice are truly superior. So that's our, our focus. Uh, we look carefully at um, overall uh, share progress online versus offline and margin progress online versus offline. In an aggregate, which is always dangerous, of course, operationally, uh, we, we move to, to lower levels of aggregation. Um, we're indifferent between online and uh, offline shopping, which is exactly um, where we want to be. I mentioned we grew e-commerce sales 50% uh, in the quarter that we just completed. E-commerce sales are now probably 11 to 12% of our total, uh, so they're, they're important. And we're just as focused on uh, success, being successful in that channel as we are the others. Your next question comes to the line of Dara Mosinian with Morgan Stanley. Hey, good morning. So, uh, John, just wanted to better understand the implied balance of year uh, organic sales growth guidance for the fiscal year after Q1 strength. Um, it's only about 3% at the, at the midpoint of your four-year range versus 9% this quarter. Um, doesn't seem to have really moved up the Q2 through Q4 implied forecast despite the Q1 upside. So just trying to understand, is that more just related to an uncertain environment here post-COVID? Are there other specific factors uh, driving that forward sequential caution? You had mentioned a couple in your prepared remarks, so a bit more detail would be helpful there. And just on promotion, given that did come up in your prepared remarks, is the U.S. promotional environment, is that returning to more of a normalized level? And how do you think about calendar 2021 versus 2020 on that front, just given it was in a normally depressed promotional base? Thanks. No surprise to you or anyone on this call, we continue to operate in a highly uncertain environment with many more uh, drivers of that uncertainty than we're historically accustomed to. And that certainly uh, helps frame um, guidance, if not guidance ranges. Um, second, we've got a long way to go. So we're through one quarter. We've got three more quarters uh, to execute on in this uh, very uh, dynamic environment. Third, market growth, which is where we start um, in our in our outlook process, um, looks to be kind of two to four percent uh, on a normalized basis. That's global. Um, and so four to five as our new fiscal year guidance range is consistent with our desire to build uh, market share, but I think uh, realistic in, in its approach. Um, also, the quarter we just completed 
um, has two elements, and you mentioned one of them, that uh, will drive a higher top-line result. Um, the first is there's been, uh, there, there was um, inventory replenishment to the trade during the quarter. Uh, that was probably worth a point or two. Um, and you mentioned as well uh, lower levels of promotion. We still have categories where we have replenishment work to do, so some of that benefit will carry forward um, into subsequent quarters. But many of our categories are, are now replenished. Um, and from a promotion standpoint, uh, we've returned to somewhat normal levels of promotion in most categories in the U.S., um, except those where we still have work to catch up on uh, uh, replenishment, where demand exceeds our, ability, our current ability to supply. And that would be our uh, home care business, our tissue towel business, and parts of our uh, health care business. Uh, we do expect some normalization um, of promotion rates in the back half of the year, so as we get into 2021, Exactly what the cadence is of that and exactly what level things return to is, is not entirely clear. Uh, we're going to continue where we have the opportunity to prioritize spend on innovation and equity. There's nothing proprietary in promotion, uh, but we will be um, competitive from a promotion standpoint. I know that answer lacks the specificity you're looking for, the best I can do. Uh, with the, the current state of knowledge and the current uh, state of volatility. I think, you know, there are, if the, the question behind the question is, is there a possible upside to the guidance range? I think the answer is yes. Um, but I would also hasten to add that there's also downside. Uh, there's just a lot of moving pieces right now. All right, your next question comes to the line of Lauren Lieberman with Barclays. Thanks. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, fields of play. You know, as, as you'd mentioned, kind of new opportunities out there. And you, in the release, also had specifically mentioned, um, mentioned the safeguard launch. I was curious, though, also about the personal health care business. Because um, that's another area where, just like home care, you've been investing um, and sort of building up a greater presence pre-COVID. And it would seem that this new environment would also open up some, you know, interesting incremental opportunities in personal health care. So could you just talk a little bit about that business, kind of where, you know, if you are spending differently, focusing on new areas, um, you know, what the – more international footprint of that business opens up for you versus where you were several years ago. Um, I think that could be really helpful. Thanks. Sure, Lauren. That is a personal healthcare is a very uh, attractive field of play to use your description. Um, it's one that that you're right. We've been investing behind. Uh, we purchased the uh, German Merck OTC portfolio, which were um, still in the middle of integrating, but but very successfully. Um, our top line uh, growth on that business and our heritage P&G personal health care business outside the United States, uh, to your question of, of international, um, 
is, is growing at, at, at growth rates, uh, very attractive growth rates, uh, high singles, double digits in some cases, ahead of um, the, the plan when we purchase those assets. And the good news is uh, cost synergies are also coming in nicely. So that does give us confidence uh, to continue looking for smart ideas to expand the current portfolio and to look for um, additional opportunities uh, to create value with, and, um, and we'll be doing that. Uh, the, German, the German Merck OTC assets gave us about a billion dollar sales uh, international business, again, combined with things like um, uh, VIX, the Heritage P&G portfolio. So we now have a meaningful presence in, uh, in many parts of the world that, that puts us, in, in, and we've secured capabilities that put us in a position uh, to drive this business and, and do it profitably. And that will be one of our focus areas going forward, though I don't want to uh, overemphasize uh, that opportunity. We have, as you know, spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to land in the 10 categories that we've landed in, and our intention is to grow and to win and to seize opportunities and to do it profitably in each of them. Uh, but clearly, we see uh, those same opportunities in the uh, over-the-counter medicines business. Your next question comes from the line of Steve Powers with Deutsche Bank. Mr. Powers, your line is open. Sorry about that. I was I was muted. Um, hey, Sue, so thank you. Uh, and John, you've had a a couple of tremendous growth quarters in the U.S. as well as China the past six months. Um, and you've hinted at it a little bit this morning already, but I was just hoping you could talk a little bit more explicitly around your expectations for those markets over the remainder of the year, both in terms of consumer takeaway as well as your own selling patterns, if they're likely to differ. And I guess I don't know if you consider this a separate, que a separate question, but I, I guess I'm curious as to what you attribute that outstanding growth to in those markets versus what I think equates to more like low to mid-single-digit growth across the rest of the portfolio. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's just a focus of just a function of your particular focus, or if there are underlying differences um, that are more structural in those most focused of your focus markets uh, versus the rest of the world as we think about the go forward. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Uh, we've talked for some time. Uh, David began talking about this at Cagney several years ago about the importance of winning in the U.S. and China. Um, and we've been very intentional in establishing su superior positions across our categories in those uh, two markets. Um, you know, even our organization design um, is structured to allow our, the leadership of our company to focus their time and effort on the focus markets with, as you say, China and U.S. being the most focused of the focus markets. And that's the, the combination of that organization choice, that prioritization choice, and uh, the execution of the holistic strategy are, are what are making the difference in the U.S. and um, in China. Um, the U.S. and China 
from a category growth standpoint, do have category growth rates that are higher on average than some other parts of the world. I'll take Europe as an example. Um, currently, uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East, and Africa as an example. Um, but I don't think that that is, uh, I mean, there's, there's significant opportunity across the geographic portfolio. Witness in the quarter we just completed, we grew organic sales and we uh, grew earnings in every geographic segment. Um, so, you know, as we uh, fully and holistically execute the strategy on a global basis, uh, there should be opportunity to improve growth rates in the non-U.S. and non-China business. And uh, we're going to have to work really hard to maintain strong growth rates um, in the U.S. and China where we have very strong and able uh, competition. Um, the growth rates that we del we delivered most recently uh, are, are very strong, very attractive. They were pre-COVID. Um, they were certainly in the U.S. during COVID, not so much in China. Um, and the rebound in China has been uh, encouraging to see. Um, but, you know, I think from a sustainable standpoint, and we talked about this at, at Lawrence conference in the fall, earlier in the fall, you need to really start with what you expect market growth to be and assume we can build a couple share points uh, uh, or a little bit of share on top of that um, to really ground yourself in what's reasonable to deliver over longer periods of time. Now, as I've said earlier in this conversation, we have a responsibility to impact that market growth, and uh, we believe we've done that, certainly in the U.S., and we need to continue doing that. A very long-winded uh, question, but the disproportionate growth in the U.S. and China is partly a function of those markets. It's partly a function of priority. It's partly um, a function of um, the execution of the strategy. And I think it has, um, you know, it's already had application elsewhere and will continue to even more so as we move forward. Your next question comes from the line of Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Hey, uh, good morning, John, and congrats again on another great quarter. Um, first, a housekeeping question. I apologize if I missed this. Do you have a, a global retail takeaway number relative to the 9% organic sales growth in the quarter? That would be helpful. But my broader question, John, is on the U.S. men's grooming category. I was hoping we could get an update there, and I, I asked, of course, in the context, some of the challenges, some of the demand challenges that that business has faced for a while, which have been compounded a bit uh, by, by the pandemic and, and work-from-home trends. And now I also think it's notable that the Dollar Shave is rolling out at, at Walmart just this week. Um, it, it probably suggests further risk to shift and may slow some of Harry's momentum. But can you comment uh, a bit on, on the potential risk to Gillette's market share position, spending plans that are in place? We talked about promotion earlier. I, I suspect this will likely be a category or destination for some of that higher promotion, particularly in the competitive environment and some of the demand challenges. And maybe just comment on, on, on your level of comfort uh, around uh, pricing ladders and price positions in the category, which I know has been an area of emphasis here in recent years. So thanks for all that, John. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I'm going to suggest you get with uh, John Chevalier after the call, and he can give you a more specific number on um, retail offtake during the quarter 
um, going at it kind of from the top of my head, I would guess it's it's probably seven or eight, but John can help you with that. Um, in terms of uh, uh, grooming, uh, grooming continues to be a very attractive business. We grew the top line on our grooming business globally two years ago. We grew it last year, so two years in a row of growth, and we grew it 6% in the quarter that we just completed. Um, part of that, um, part of the pickup in the business is a result of uh, more holistic, more holistically serving uh, all consumers. So we've talked about SkinGuard as an example uh, that was designed to meet the needs of a high percentage of men uh, who had sensitive skin for whom shaving was painful and, um, and, and reduced that barrier to shave frequency and, and uh, shaving in general. Uh, we launched, uh, we've launched now in some channels and in some parts of the world a whole lineup of products under the brand of King C. Gillette that are designed to serve men who choose to maintain facial hair. So everything from trimmers to uh, beard wax to conditioners, et cetera, and that has been going very, very well. And uh, the third thing I would point to is very strong innovation on our um, dry shave business, which grew, has been growing um, uh, very attractively as well. This will continue to be a competitive category because of the attractiveness of the category. Uh, you should assume that that is built into our thinking and, and built into our plans. And I want to avoid any specific reference to pricing or promotion in uh, a specific category of business. But we are, um, we like this business, it's growing, it's very profitable, highly cash generative, and it's something we'll be investing behind. Your next question comes from the line of Andrea Teixeira with J.P. Morgan. Hi, good morning. Congrats on your results. Uh, John, if you could break down your 7% volume growth in additional distribution and innovation, I guess, um, just the last few of the legacy franchises, just to get an idea of the duration of this momentum. And conversely, perhaps if the only area that you may need to improve are the mid-tier diapers. So can you give us your view on this segment globally? Thank you. I really don't know how to break volume down with any confidence along the lines that you're uh, requesting, so I apologize for that. Um, we have uh, some great positions in diapers around the world, particularly in the pants style form where we're market leaders, and that is the fastest growing segment of the diaper market on a global basis. We're also doing very well in, in the premium uh, portion of the business. As you rightly point out, uh, we have not been superior in the middle of the market, what we call mainline. And we have, uh, um, as you would expect, been working hard on that and have innovation uh, coming to market across the world beginning um, this quarter and next and, and carrying on through uh, 2021, which we expect to address that situation. Next question comes from the line of Mark Astrakhan with Stiefel. Yeah, thanks, and 
Good morning, everyone. Um, John, I wanted to go back to e-commerce. So 11 12% of sales, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's somewhere kind of double where it was pre, pre-COVID. Um, so maybe touch on how much of that increase is sustainable, you know, meaning how, how much of those consumers are going to continue to, to purchase in that medium, and um, what drives the adoption of, of those consumers to, to maintain that, that presence on a go-forward basis, you know, things that you've seen, maybe we all have, have done our own work and kind of see that that will continue. I'm curious you know, how you, you all are thinking about it. And you know, sort of related to that, and under any circumstances, would you pursue more DTC, things like SK2, even broadly, um, anything that would be helpful? Thanks. We want to serve consumers in a superior fashion wherever they choose to shop. Um, and, and that's really our focus. So we're not focused on one channel versus another. We prefer to be uh, channel agnostic and let the consumer make that choice. And as long as we're uh, very well positioned um, with a superior product, a superior package that's relevant for the channel, uh, communication that's relevant to the channel, and have the right value, uh, if they choose to shop in e-commerce, we'll win. If they choose to shop in brick and mortar, uh, we'll win. If they choose uh, a hybrid shopper shopping experience uh, like uh, uh, click and collect, uh, if we're if we're appropriately positioned, uh, we should we should do very well. So that's our focus, vis-a-vis uh, any specific channel focus. Uh, within that, DTC clearly can play a role. Um, as you mentioned, in some of our businesses, it's already a significant part of the operating model. It's, um, it allows us uh, to get closer to consumers, uh, to understand, um, to have an even better understanding of their needs and their habits, uh, including their purchase habits. And that all um, can be um, very complementary and important in, in the broader context. Uh, so you will see us continue to increase our uh, DTC presence, but again, not at the preference of uh, or the deprioritization of any other channel of trade. And your next question comes from the line of Olivia Tong with Bank of America. Great, thanks. Good morning, and congrats on the quarter. Um, I want to talk broadly about the competitive dynamics because clearly you're innovating, gaining share. Your plans from earlier this year to double down on investment is working. So, what's your view on competition at this point? Because they've also talked about picking up the pace on their activity. Have you seen it, and it's perhaps just not quite landing how they had anticipated, or is there more to come from competition that's factored into this full year? Uh, sales expectations, and 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 then where are you most concerned? Because you talked about still catching up to demand in a couple of categories: family care, home care, um, some health care, and meanwhile, growth in the non-COVID categories like beauty, grooming, and healthcare have really started to accelerate. So, give up a little bit more color on that. Thank you. I'm going to start where you ended, uh, Olivia, and then I'll come back to competition. Um, the strong quarters that we've been putting together are a reflection of our brand portfolio and our strategies, which built momentum for the business prior to COVID, have maintained momentum through COVID, 
and allowed us to accelerate in the quarters that we just completed. These are a set of strategies and an activity system um, that uh, are, were well suited to the pre-COVID environment, as you saw reflected in our results, are very well suited to the COVID environment, as you see reflected in our results, and we expect uh, will be very well suited uh, to someday a post-COVID uh, environment. And that set of uh, strategies, and importantly the execution behind them, um, on the part of 99,000 PNG men and women around the world is what's driving, as you rightly point to, uh, growth on the top line and the bottom line across each of our franchises. We talked about the challenge we still have in baby care and how we're going to address that, but nine out of ten categories grew uh, top line in the quarter. Each of our geographic regions grew top line in the quarter, um, and that's really reflective of uh, the execution of this integrated set of strategies that we've been working on for some time. We feel that is the best insulation against what uh, is certainly a competitive marketplace across the board. I, I want to be careful, though, that we don't react necessarily to competitive statements about spending as inherently inducing risk. Uh, competitive spending that's uh, constructively structured and that uh, grows, increases consumer awareness and participation in categories is not a bad thing. Um, uh, so it, what's more important is, is the how or the, the what. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're early in uh, the execution of some of those uh, competitive agendas, um, and uh, we'll see. But I know for sure that our best chance of continuing our momentum and doing it profitably is to continue to execute the strategy that's been working for us so well. We'll next go to Wendy Nicholson with City. Hi, good morning. Could you talk about your margins? Both gross and operating have just exploded, and that's awesome. Um, but I'm wondering how much of that is structural improvements you've made to your, you know, organizational structure and all that kind of stuff, um, and how much of it is just um, the benefit of favorable operating leverage. So as we think, you know, longer term, two years, three years, four years out, um, have you permanently reset the margin structure for the company, or do we think those are going to uh, trickle back when, when top line growth normalizes a bit? Thanks. So within the 300 basis points of operating margin improvement, uh, about two-thirds is attributable to sales leverage, which still leaves a healthy third, um, around 100 basis points, that's due to the net of uh, savings in productivity and our reinvestment in superiority. Um, so that, that's, that's the breakdown that you've uh, asked for. Um, we are very clear in our own minds uh, that on a going basis, we need to grow the top line and we need to grow margin. Uh, so everything we're executing is designed to do both, both now and uh, moving forward. All right, your next question comes from the line of Nick Modi with RBC Capital Markets. Yeah, good, good morning, everyone. Um, 
John, I was wondering if you could just spitball on your thoughts on the economy. And I ask this really because obviously there's you know, concern that if we do kind of hit some tougher times that there'll be a lot of trade-down pressure, not just for Procter, but for a lot of you know, CPG companies that tend to play in the more premium end of their categories. But I, I was just wondering what you thought about this whole thesis of you know, income bifurcating or the consumer groups bifurcating because the lower income demographic is getting much more impact due to furloughs and, and job losses at the kind of lower end of the wage spectrum. Yet, you know, middle income and higher income consumers are still doing fairly well. So I was just hoping you could just add some thoughts to that whole whole thought process. Thanks, Nick. I'm not smart enough to know where this all lands. Um, what I can do are is look at the data that are available to date. Um, and that's a, that's a fairly encouraging set of data. Um, if we look at uh, private label shares as a proxy for trade down, um, U.S. private label shares in the last three month period are down the full point, which is uh, an acceleration in the decline versus the prior three month period. And the same dynamic generally uh, holds true in Europe. Um, there's just a heightened need for products that uh, deliver against um, health hygiene and clean home concerns and a willingness to spend just a little bit more to ensure uh, that I'm using a product that I know and trust and believe will work for me and for my family. Um, so in, in most of our categories, that's the dynamic that's playing. Supporting that direction, um, unlike uh, prior crises, are very different from prior crises, is a whole reconfiguration of the consumer budget. Uh, they're not spending money generally on travel, on entertainment, at a meal at a restaurant, on apparel. Uh, so they do have some flexibility um, uh, that, that that's more prevalent now than has been the case historically, which they can redirect and many are redirecting uh, if they choose to do so. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not suggesting that there isn't greater economic stress ahead of us or that it won't have more of an impact than we've seen thus far. I just don't have the ability um, to predict where that goes or, or lands. I can only really reflect on, on what we've seen thus far, which is uh, in total encouraging. Your next question comes to the line of Camille Gajawala with Credit Suisse. Uh, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, John, I know it's a, good, it's a hard question to answer, and we don't have the specific details, but we're getting a lot of questions from investors on how you might be thinking or scenario planning around any changes or really increases in the tax structure if there's a change in the administration. Um, First of all, any meaningful change in the tax structure at the corporate level uh, in all probability requires a change in the executive branch and uh, in control of the Senate. Uh, so that's the first handicapping that anybody has to do uh, in order to understand whether there's likely to be change. 
The second um, point I would make is there's there's a lot of um, conversation and, and rhetoric at the surface of this issue. But if we go back to, you know, why did so many of us push so hard for so long on corporate tax reform? And again, I'm, I'm dealing with the corporate uh, piece of this. And why was it um, uh, eventually enacted? There were some very powerful and important motivators that I don't think have diminished in their importance. The first was uh, we wanted American companies to be fully competitive in non-American markets, which would give American companies every opportunity to attract capital, to grow, to create jobs, to increase America's standard of living. The second motivation was to prevent capital flight, uh, to make it attractive uh, to be domiciled and headquartered here in America as opposed to moving operations to other parts of the world. And the third, which is closely related to the second, is we wanted to incent uh, capital formation onshore versus offshore. Those are very strong motivators and very important dynamics that I don't think anyone's going to casually walk past. So I, I just offer that in terms of um, uh, the amount of thought, uh, deliberation, and consideration that I expect will go into any uh, recommended change um, that to date collectively hasn't been applied most recently to this to this question. So I'm 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 stopping short of any specific answer on on the numerics. It's, it's going to be highly dependent on uh, the details of what of what if anything happens, and uh, that answer is going to be driven by I think a lot more reflection on the three questions that I just mentioned as well as some others. The next question comes to the line of Bill Chapel with Truist Securities. Thanks. Good morning. Hey, uh, two quick ones. One, John, just remind us what, how big dry shave is of total shave. Just, I was a little surprised that it could offset the whole business, and I mean, even with 30% growth. And then on the commodity front, can you maybe talk a little bit about what's changed and what you see on the horizon uh, just since you gave guidance, uh, I guess, two and a half months ago uh, to have a little more of a headwind? Thanks. I understand the question on the breakdown of dry versus wet shave. I don't have the, the data, um, but if you call John, he can certainly get that for you. Um, the commodity environment, uh, in my way of thinking, hasn't changed um, dramatically. Um, since we provided guidance for the year, there's been um, an increase uh, in pulp, as an example, an increase in, in some of the other items we purchased. But you know, overall, um, it's a um, it's a relatively, on a historical uh, basis, benign environment at the moment. Uh, oil in the petro complex is is generally somewhat range bound. Um, I'll leave it there. We'll take our next question from John Anderson with William Blair. 
Thanks. Good morning. Um, I have um, two quick questions on NICs. First one being, if you could describe the impact of NICs on the P&L, whereby it adds to sales, organic sales growth, but detracts from gross margin in the quarter. And the second question is, um, the mix benefit you experienced in the quarter on the top line looks to be driven, you know, essentially by fabric and home care, and to a lesser extent, health care, with the balance of the divisions neutral. Uh, what's happening within those segments that's driving uh, favorable mix? Thank you. <laughs> mix is a very uh, complicated animal uh, because there's not just category mix, but there's geographic mix. And so, for example, when the U.S. grows faster than almost any other market, both with its um, uh, sales rate um, or, or you know revenue per case and its profitability, uh, that has a significant impact, as do the category differences uh, that you reference. Um, to get to the conundrum of uh, gross margin going one way as, as relates to mix and P&L going another way, I've talked about this um, quite a bit, and it's a reason that I, I really don't – I'm not focused on margins. We're not focused on margins. I don't want that to scare anybody because I didn't say we weren't focused on, on profit and cash. But margins are an interesting uh, animal. They, I can't put margins in a bank. I can't return margins to share owners. I can't really invest margins in innovation. Um, what I can do, what we can do, is uh, invest profit and cash in each of those things. We can put that in the bank, we can redistribute that to shareholders, and we can invest it in increasing our uh, margin of superiority. We have uh, many um, of our premium offerings carry a lower gross margin but a higher penny profit. Laundry unit dose is an example of that dynamic. I'll take that higher pro penny profit every day of the week even though it may degrade our gross margin uh, to some degree. But, but that's the, the dynamic, the delta between um, a margin and penny profit that's driving the math that you're, uh, that you're seeing. And it's why we can't get hung up in, uh, in margins per se, but we should be very hung up on, um, on profit and cash. And ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's conference. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Have a great day. Just one um, uh, bit of summary for those of you who are still on the line. Again, as we reflect on this quarter, the point that I think is most important to take away is uh, the momentum of the business and the robustness of the strategy and the brand portfolio that are driving that momentum, pre-COVID, during COVID, now, post-COVID. Um, uh, and I'm happy to talk at, at greater length about that with any of you um, as the day and the week progresses. But that is uh, the takeaway here. 
and I really appreciate uh, your time and your questions. Have a great day.